Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their world. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. It is all about the brand. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, in studio today with Rick Stott. He is the CEO of Superior Farms and the former executive vice president of AgriBeef, Rick Great to be with you today. Thanks, Dale. It's great to be here. And uh, for listeners' sake, you and I have known each other for a number of years through a program called Leadership Idaho Agriculture. That's right. Uh, So, and our roots are in ag. So when we say the show today is all about the brand, we're not talking necessarily about animals and branding, but actually branding a business for success. So this being the Complete Leader Podcast, uh, you've also worked with Ron Price, and yes. you've run your teams through the complete leader. Tell me about that interaction and what it's meant for you and your company. Well, you know, I met Ron, uh, I don't know how many years ago now, and actually in China. Uh, we were on a business trip together with the governor of Idaho and and met him and, and was intrigued with what he was trying to do and uh, was fascinated with his philosophy of leadership. And the complete leader became a really important tool for us uh, initially at Agribeef and then eventually at Superior Farms to help develop our leadership. Both uh, Agribeef and Superior Farms have terrific people and for the most part young. Uh, and we recognized uh, very early on the need, need to really be able to uh, help them develop their leadership skills. And so as a result of that, that complete leader program and the book became a very much a Bible for leadership and a tool for which we use to measure our progress. Tell me about Superior Farms, what you do, the market you serve. Superior Farms is, uh, we're, we're a, a packing plant processor for lambs. Uh, we have two packing plants, one in Denver, one in Dixon, California. Our headquarters is in Sacramento. We have operations in Chicago, Boston, LA, Seattle, and in Sacramento. Uh, diversified to some degree, but primarily in the lamb business. We process uh, well over a third of the lambs in the United States. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's an interesting business because it's been around forever, 50 years. Uh, On top of that, it's an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan. And um, as a result of that, every, every employee of our company is an owner of Superior Farms, which is a very interesting model uh, particularly for uh, the leadership type of things where people have a really unique and, and driving interest in the success of a company beyond what I would say a normal company would be able to, to elicit from their employees. Vested interest. Very much a vested interest. Uh, some great stories about that. It's, it's fun. It's so much fun to go talk with our employees. I'll give you a couple examples. One is uh, a young man that's making chops on a bandsaw, just cutting up chops. And at the beginning of that, he he cuts off a little teeny thin piece of that uh, primal. And um, I'm watching him do this. And in my mind, uh, being an accountant in background, I'm thinking, okay, 700,000 times two times $5 per pound times three ounces being nicked off the end of that thing. That's a lot of money. And uh, he could see in my face that I was perhaps a bit perplexed and concerned. And he turns to me and he says, Rick, do you know why we're doing that? And I said, no, no. well, I kind of knew, but he's, I said, why? 
He said, because we sell this product for a lot of money and we need to make that product the very best that we can for these customers because that's going to bring a return to this company. That's going to increase the value of my stock. Here's a kid that's on the line making, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 bucks an hour or something. And he understands what his mission is by doing that one simple thing. I was in the Denver packing plant. There's a young man on the line, and he clearly came from a pretty rough background. I suspect a pretty tough neighborhood and probably not a very successful family. Tattoos up and down his arms, et cetera, et cetera. So I went up and talked to him, and, and he says, he turns to me and he says, I am so excited. I'm going to be here for three years next month. I said, well, congratulations. That's terrific. Way to go. I mean, that's that's awesome. You can, you know, there's a lot of people in this company that have been here for a long time, 25 years, 20 years. It's not unusual. Uh, and you can make a real career out of this. He says, yes, but you know what's really cool more than anything else is that at three years, I get to own and have owned this company. I become a stockholder, a full stockholder in this company. Now, this is a kid, and he says, you know, when I was young, three years ago, I'm 21 now. <laughs> when I was young, I, I had no appreciation for, for that. But now that I've matured to the ripe old age of 21, I appreciate that. And I think that's pretty cool. Now, I suspect, and, I, and this is probably a, a judgment on my, my part, I suspect that nobody else in his family owns anything, let alone stock in a company. Mm. And he was very proud of that. I saw him the other day. And that was the first thing he said. He said, hey, we made it three years. Because I joined the company within a few days of when he did. And so he said, you, you, you have stock too, don't you? And I said, absolutely. And yeah. so we're kind of, we, in fact, our birthdays are one day apart, we find out. And so we have this special bond with this young man. And it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. And uh, encouraging. Now, you've already given us two to three topics we can dive off and do entire podcasts on. So you're going to have to come back because <laughs> our topic today is is branding. And uh, before the podcast, we were talking about what you've seen in the lamb market as far as how people are consuming lamb. And, and so let's let the listeners in on that conversation. What have you seen in that market and how has it changed in the last few years? You know, it's, it's a wonderful, uh, incredible opportunity, actually. For the first time in maybe 50 years, lamb consumption in the United States is going up. Historically, uh, lamb was served to the GIs in World War II, mutton in a can. They're in the trenches. They opened up the can of mutton, and it stunk to high heaven, but it was protein. It was cheap protein. And so when they came home from the war, the last thing they wanted to see on their kitchen table was lamb, was mutton. And so they banned it. A lot of them banned it uh, from their kitchen. Their kids never got lamb. Their, of course, their grandkids never got lamb. And so we've had generations that have turned their nose up in the United States for lamb. For a variety, not just that, but that was a huge turning point, actually. And you can see the correlation of time frame as the consumption declined for that very thing. So to set the stage, this is it a massive branding issue. Exactly, a massive branding issue. And in the United States... The average consumption is one pound per year per person. 40% of the people in the United States have never tasted lamb. Probably another 20 to 30% of the people have tasted it maybe once or twice. So can you give us a comparison for beef, chicken, pork, what, what consumption rates are? Do you have them off the top of your head? You I know, know I, 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 if I remember right, 
and these are probably not exactly correct, but beef is around 30 pounds per person per year, including hamburger. Chicken is about 50% more than that. Pork is somewhere in between. I think wow. it's a little bit less, maybe 2025. 20, but that it gives us some perspective. Some perspective. So yeah. it's it's massively underrepresented mm-hmm. uh, in in the protein consumption in the United States. New Zealand, Australia, Europe, lamb consumption is multiple times bigger than that than what we have in the United States. And so the opportunity for us, I mean, you can look at it one two ways. People don't like lamb in the United States, or you can look at it saying. Well, gee, all we have to do is increase it by a quarter per pound per person in the United States, and we got a huge consumption growth potential. What other product in the United States that we have that has that kind of consumer potential? All we have to do is get the people that are already eating it to increase it and double their consumption to two pounds per year. Can't be that hard. So that's where the lamb industry is today. And so what we've seen in the last two years is actually a 6% increase in consumption. First time in 50 years that we've had an increase in consumption. That's twice as much as any other protein. Chicken is the next closest, closest at about 2 to 3% increase in consumption. Now, of course, their base is much bigger. But nonetheless, uh, the consumption is growing. Beef is zero to negative a little bit. Uh, pork is slightly positive at a half a percent or something like that in the last couple of years. And so we're seeing a resurgence of interest in lamb. And that's coming as a result of several things. Uh, one is, if you look at cooking shows, cooking contests on, on, the, on TV or magazines, Bon Appetit and those kind of cooking magazines, lamb is part of those magazines. Lamb is part of the cooking show, inevitably. And so in, in a relative terms, we get a over, oh, way far bigger exposure in the public media than what our consumption would would be representative of, right? I mean, way bigger percentage. Because it's a specialty. Because it's a specialty. And so they throw it into these cooking contests because it may be a little bit more tougher for because they don't have a reference point. They throw chicken in there. All you have to do is put some sauce on it, and it tastes like that sauce. You know, chicken is just a protein uh, sauce carrier. It does, it's not really protein, but <laughs> that's an editorial comment. But uh, the fact is, is that um the 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 lamb gives them a variety because of the flavor profiles it gives a variety of opportunities to cook different ethnic foods and and american foods as well but we're seeing this resurgence that has never been seen before well see, at least for 50 years so what what have you done as superior farms in the last couple of years to position yourself in this resurgence? Well, part of it is is the topic for today, and that's branding. Mm-hmm. Um, as I joined the company about three years ago, uh, it was clear that there was no brand strategy in the entire lamb industry, and particularly Superior Farms. And so at Superior Farms, we hired a, a, a director of branding, a marketing director that had a, a very strong brand-centric mentality. And so he came on board and, and we, we basically developed a strategy of how we would roll out brands. And so first we did a, a, a search. So, you know, the classic definition of a brand is a brand is a promise. So what are we promising? What can we define as a unique characteristic of our product? That's the first thing we had to do is what was unique and what did the consumer perceive our product to be and what was the unique characteristics that they would pay a premium for? And so we did a whole analysis on that and spent about six months going through this with consumer panels and all kinds of things and came up 
with a couple important messages that we felt resonated with consumers in a very strategic way. And they, they indicated that if these characteristics existed, that they could they would pay a premium for it. And so we developed then with that kind of vision, we developed a couple of brands that we launched. Uh, Farmer's Mark is one. It's a never ever antibiotic free, hormone free kind of a brand. And Cascade Creek, which is a grass fed uh, type of brand. And each of those have their unique positioning. If you saw the labels on those, you could see a couple of unique things. And we, and we also relabeled and repositioned Superior Farms because that was really the only brand that we had in the marketplace, Superior Farms. And we redesigned the logo. Traditionally, it had a, a barn. It looked very old and stoic and stodgy kind of a brand. And so we updated it with vibrant colors. And one of the things that consistent on each one of these three is we have a lamb that's visible and with a person. So a sheep herder or a rancher persona on this thing on this on these labels because one of the problems that we had we recognized from the consumers the consumers would tell us we can't find it we don't know where it's at knowing full well that it's in the grocery store but it's a very small section and i i think if you ask our listeners today can you find lamb have you seen lamb in your grocery store i would say a vast majority of them would say i have no idea where i would find it yet it's in all the almost all the WalMarts. It's in all of the Kroger stores, uh, Rose Hours. Those are all of our customers, and they have lamb. And but it'd be hard pressed for them probably to see it. And so we have this just because of the size because of the, of the display of the and display. where it's where it's at. Exactly, and the and the and the labels that we had on it was kind of blending into everything else. It didn't stand out, and so we put this lamb and the and the and the rancher high on the labels so that when you look down the meat case that you would see a lamb and the rancher. And so we had a big debate about what the lamb should look like. Proud lamb, sad lamb, fat lamb, skinny lamb, with with or without tail, blah, 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 all this stuff. A big debate. It was kind of hilarious, but it, it was a debate. And so we, we, we wanted an image that portrayed the grandeur of if you want to say it that way of, of of a lamb that's proud to deliver dinner and so people could see it and so we 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 that was the first evolution of that brand development is right there the next step is that we which is the case with most brands particularly with most companies that have never done brands is that you really have to sell it internally first that that's something that people most people miss uh, in developing brands because when you, when you do that, because you have to do that, your sales guys that are going out to sell these brands are not going to sell it with confidence if they don't really understand the messaging. And it typically takes about a year and a half to two years for that to happen. Ironically, it takes longer for your sales guys, for your company, internal company owners, to get the vision of what the brand is than... Uh, than the external folks. Once they get it, the external people get it faster than two years. They actually get it usually in in six months to a year. You start seeing success. So I want to go back to the ESOP conversation. Yeah. And did you see an impact because of that and internally as you were working internally to really steer this ship in a completely different direction? Absolutely. And it was actually negative. Okay. Because we were spending a fair amount of money mm-hmm. 
hundreds of thousands of dollars to do all this analysis and all the research and you got to do it right and you got to spend the money to get the right imaging you got to do marketing strategies and all kinds of stuff and change is hard change is hard and they own the company and so they're seeing these big checks going out and they're saying oh my gosh i mean this is my company and we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on this brand that it's you know why can't we just keep the old label i like the old label i you know i have it on all my i literally had one of my guys say i haven't thrown a shirt away in 20 years i've got all my old logos on this shirt and now you're going to change it all i can't wear my old shirts anymore come on that's such a waste and and so you have that kind of pushback particularly i think so in an esop how did you lead through that well i mean it it it, it, it was coaxing and prodding and basically saying listen it's been done before we can do this and and finding small wins mm -hmm. that's really the key is when you start to find small wins with customers who give back positive feedback back to your salespeople, and make sure that that is well known throughout your company and and be able to change too because sometimes you misbrand it the positioning isn't quite right the logo's not quite right you get feedback from your customers and they say they we don't really like that that's not resonating with our cons consumers and you change it and you evolve it and you and you get it right that's helpful because then you're listening to consumers and and the fact of the matter is when the consumers are responding to your messaging and they're giving you feedback then all of a sudden internally people are saying hey the consumers are paying attention and they are going to respond positively to that message and so as we became and had small wins so, for example, one of our first wins was down in Las Vegas. One of our big distributors down there, he was a, we had to find heroes. We had to find people that understood brands and understood lamb. And so we cherry-picked about a half a dozen of these guys, mostly in the Western United States, and we went to them. I went to them with our marketing director and our head sales guy. And these guys, are you talking chefs? Are you talking... Uh, Typically distributors. Distributors, primarily. okay. Uh, and then and 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 then grocery stores too. So specialty grocery stores and I didn't know if you were diving off into the the reality TV shows. No, of no, that's, cooking and, yeah, and things we, like we're that. We're not to big start. enough to be able to do that. Okay. We are now doing that now. Okay. Because it's bigger and we can do that. But the fact is that you got to start with the people that are going to buy your product from you, which is the distributors. So we found a, a half a dozen small retailers and distributors that understood branding, understood lamb and made them heroes. And we said, okay, we're going to give you, we're going to give you an exclusive rollout of this brand. Never been done in this country. You're going to have unique positioning. This is all the messaging. Here's all the, here's all of the, the, the documentation, the, the messaging. Here's our producer profiles that, that backs up what we're talking about here. Um, and, and here's all of the help that you're going to get from our marketing department. Um, you know, let's go after this thing. And so we started going out there and selling it to these folks. And then the sales guys would start seeing this growth in sales. And then the, our heroes out there would come back to the salespeople and say, listen, we got to have more. We're, this is great. We're getting the, you know, we, we just landed this 21, 21 restaurant chain in Las Vegas and they're going to feature it on their menu and they're going to put the lamb, you know, our, our logo on the menu and we need more messaging. Can you give us the videos on your producer profiles and all this kind of stuff? And all of a sudden that feedback mechanism on the, 
success stories started spreading to the country That's through right. our sales team. And then we start saying no. And that's the other trick is that you got to say no, because almost immediately when people start seeing the bit of success, then they want to run off and create and use that brand for something that isn't down the, the line that's going to be successful because distributors or retailers want to own it, but they don't want to market it. So give me an example of a time you said no. Well, we had like. a guy, one of our sales guy, really energetic kind of guy out in our, in our East Coast. And he said, I've got these folks that want to use Cascade Creek in their dis- distribution system. And we said, well, tell us about the customer. And they said, well, he's really just kind of a, a oh, oh, and oh, by the way, he wants a 5% discount if he's going to sell your brand. And we said, no. We said, no, that's not the point. The point is the brand is worth more and we're not going to sell it for less. We're going to sell it for more. So unless he wants to pay 5% more, we're not interested. And so, no, you can't have it. And so all of a sudden you set a precedence to say, this is something that is unique and different and special and not everybody can have it. And so it's one of those things, what you can't have, you want more. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's what happens is that all of a sudden people wake up and say, oh my, my heavens, my competitor down the street has Cascade Creek or it has Farmer's Mark and they're going into my customers and they're selling this program. I want it too. And as we went around to each of these distributors, we were very careful not to cross-pollinate these folks. And we gave them, we said, we made them a deal and basically a handshake deal that said, listen, we won't sell it to any of your competitor distributors, but you've got to grow your sales. You've got to support the brand. You've got to you have us as an exclusive supplier. Uh, you can't sell our competitors' product. And as long as you do that, then we'll protect you. And we'll allow you to build this brand, and you will own this brand in this marketplace. And so, there, you know, we've had a couple of situations where they didn't live up to that commitment. They didn't go out there and market the brand. And so we took it away from them. And we went to their competitor and said, listen, we've got this great brand. It's already working here and here and here in these regional markets. We'll give you an exclusive. These guys blew it. They don't get it. Uh, do you get it? Do you get brands? Do you want to market it as such? Yeah. Okay, let's go. And so that creates the buzz, right? Mm-hmm. It ticks off the old customer. But the reality is that they weren't doing it. They weren't making it happen. What are, uh, where are you at now? What, what does that success look like for you now, the results? Well, the results are that we are facing a bit of a supply problem that for the first time in the history of Superior Farms, our demand is exceeding our supply. And so we're really having to manage the supply side of the equation a lot more strictly and, and put, really put some constraints on the sales side. And we, once again, this is a problem you have not seen in 50 years. Yeah, in 50 years. Never been. Historically, the production guys have said, okay, here's the wall of meat. Go out and sell it for eight, you know, whatever price you can get. We've got to get it out of the freezer or out of the warehouse here. Come on, guys. Go out and sell, 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 and move it. And now the sales guys are coming to the the production system to the packing plants and saying, come on guys, we got to get more through here. I've got five customers lighting up that want to take our product on, want to have this new brand, want to develop this new market, da, 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 and have these new products. You know, you got to do it faster. You got to do it better. You got to do it more uh, because we're, we're, we just got the, the demand is exceeding our ability to produce. And so it's a great place. You always want to be on that end of it, right? I mean, you want to be the demand once you always want the demand to exceed the supply. So is this because the demand increased 
as dramatically as you said earlier, or is it a mix where your supply has fallen off? No, where, it really is a demand. It's all demand. Yeah, it okay. really is. The demand is exceeding the supply. We processed more lambs last year than we did the year before the year before. Okay. Um, we are, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, we just need, we need to figure out how to do it better, uh, more efficiently. So we're running tight on time, but I want to, I want to hear, uh, hear your stories about creating new products Yeah, and, uh, and as, as a way to grow the brand. Yeah, absolutely. One of, one of the challenges of, of lamb, of course, is the trepidation of the consumer to how do I cook it? Uh, never seen it, never known how to cook it. And so it's an expensive product. And so what we've done is we've created these new products, uh, lamb, bacon, shredded shoulder in a bag, cook in the bag leg. All of these things allow for some very, um, who can screw up lamb bacon, right? Just put it in a frying pan. and away Just the go. fact it says bacon. It's bacon. Yeah. 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 Everybody can do bacon. The cook in the bag leg is a great product. You just, it's an, a product inside two bags. The outer bag you take out, uh, and the inner bag is put in the oven with a pop-up timer with this leg that's pre-seasoned. You put it in there at 300 degrees and you let it cook for however many minutes it says. But the little pop-up timer pops up when it's ready. Take it out of the oven, open it up, put it on a plate, and you got this spectacular leg, leg of lamb uh, that's perfectly cooked. Uh, we've got some grilling uh, type of products. We've got rosemary leg steaks that are pre-seasoned. You just open up the package, put them on a grill. In 15 minutes, they're spectacular. Very, very low-risk type of products. And so we wanted to make it so that consumers felt that the risk profile of cooking the product is minimized. And so all of these products is built around that principle, first and foremost, but also uh, giving them a great eating experience. And so that whole innovation process is new to Superior Farms. And uh, we've got a long way to go. This is an area that we're actually having a management meeting at the, uh, in September. And one of our main topics is on innovation mm. and how do we become better at it? Because uh, we're okay with it and, and we're doing way better than we were three years ago by a long shot. But we have so much runway to go on this thing and so many opportunities so many great ideas, but we just got to get them to market faster and more efficiently. Another topic for another podcast. So we we like to give listeners takeaways, and you have given us a lot of takeaways out of this, and I want to just help, have you help me recap this. But to begin with, you saw an opportunity and you seized it. Absolutely. And, and yeah. seeing the opportunity for just increasing demand from one pound per person per year to just doubling that yeah. and what, what, what that would mean. Next, you started internally communicating to the employees the opportunity exactly. and, and the big wins you gotta sell it and internally. the little wins. That's right. You got to sell it internally before you go outside. And then you went and you you found specific cheerleaders yeah. and people who were who would work and really get behind this brand idea, but they had to have some knowledge of what branding's all about. Absolutely, they had a commitment to brands. Have they been successful in the past? Do they understand how to roll it out? You know, all those kinds of things. They had to have that kind of qualification for them to get the initial launch. And then you listen closely to your customer so that you, and this is this is part of the innovation piece, but you realize that uh, lamb had not been in the U.S. kitchen for 50 years, basically, right, exactly. and people didn't know what to do with it, and it was expensive, so you helped them find ways to, that, to absolutely. bring it to the kitchen. And that's the, that, surprisingly to me, even the chefs today have a hard time understanding how to cook lamb or what to use it for. 
And there's some great innovative chefs out there that are doing some wild and crazy stuff with it. But the vast majority of chefs don't even know how to cook lamb properly. So significant education. Significant education. And, and we're doing all kinds of things to help in that process. Great. Any final words for us? No, I just appreciate the time, Dale. It's fun to be with you. And, uh, you know, again, the, so much of this is really about people uh, at the end of the day. That's what we always talk about. It. Uh, we can talk about brands. We can talk about the new innovation products. But all this is a result of people and being able to be great leaders. And uh, the Complete Leader program is is one of the best that I've seen that gives not just theoretical kind of leadership stuff, but really a measurable set of qualities that you can use to to help develop people. And that's really where it's all about. That's where success comes from at the end of the day is, is really from the people and their growth and their ability to be able to, to effectuate change. Well, I'll tell you, Superior Farms is an exciting company to be watching right now, uh, leading the way in a number of fronts. So Rick Stott, thank you so much for being with us today on the Complete Leader Podcast. And we'll bring you back because, like I said, we've got now have a list of uh, a number of topics we need to cover on the Complete Leader Podcast. Thank so, you, Dale. So with that, thank you for listening. If you would do us a big favor, go into iTunes, subscribe to the podcast while you are there. If uh, you found this information helpful, would you write a review and leave a rating? Hopefully we have earned those five stars from you. And this is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.